Greetings, rare ones. My name is Joanne, and I started the Rare Birds podcast because I wanted to hear from people like myself who come from emerging markets or the developing world, as we're called, who are entrepreneurial, resourceful, passionate, and energized to take their vision from idea to startup. Each week, you will hear me interview founders and teams from across emerging markets who are in the early stages of building their businesses. From time to time, you will also hear me speak with established ecosystem builders, mentors, investors, and business professionals who share knowledge based on their years of experience. This podcast is for anyone who is interested in hearing from the next wave of change makers across emerging markets, building in various industries from agro to tech to health, beauty, and all in between. This podcast is also for those who have ideas, but they're not entirely sure how to make them a reality. They're looking for inspiration and encouragement. We call ourselves Rare Ones. And if this sounds like you, then welcome to the family. Sit back, relax, and listen in to our always so good conversation. Bye for now. Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. And this is your host, Joanne, and I'm back again with another episode. And tonight, I would like to welcome from the Gambia, Ismael. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joanne. Uh, honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, also, really, really looking forward to a fruitful conversation. Definitely. Did I say your name correctly, by the way? I'm always you, butchering you, people's names, so please. No, be you, 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 you did. Uh, my oh, name yeah. is one of those that has a lot of different variations based on where you are. Uh, yes. So it's really hard to, to choose a wrong one, but you did. You, you nailed it. <laughs> yes. All right. Joy, joy, joy. Okay, good. Right. So, Ismail, you are in Banjul, right? That's where you're, where you're am, talking yeah. from. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So before we hop into the topic, which is the homecoming, can you tell us a little bit about, about your story, your background? Who is Ismail? Yeah, so like you said, um, Ismail is my name. Um, yeah. I was born in Gambia, um, but I actually left Gambia at a very young age. Um, so my dad uh, was a diplomat for the country. So we left Gambia when I was a couple of months old, um, mm -hmm. relocated to Belgium for... Mm -hmm about two years and then New York um, for a while. Um, and then I came back to Gambia as well too, um, around when I was like eight or nine. So did part of my schooling here okay. before m moving back to the US. So I've been in the US um, just about half of my life mm. um, as well. You're a third uh, culture kid. Part. Third culture kid. Yeah, I, I, I am. It feels like I'm a hyphen because I'm floating between two, two nationalities, both culturally as well, too. Um, yeah, so from a U.S. standpoint, I uh, did my, all my schooling um, in the U.S., my post-high school schooling. Um, did an undergraduate studies in chemistry in Tennessee, uh, at Tennessee State University. Uh, left there and then went to Purdue University okay. in Indiana. Uh, okay. where I did my doctor of pharmacy. Tennessee. Um, you went to school yeah. in Tennessee. What was that like? I did. Culture shock. Um, oh, my so God. Then, <laughs> Tennessee. You know, it was, but, but, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened because um, it was a historically back um, college. So okay. HBCU, uh, right. Tennessee State. So okay. transitioning um, was it, it gave me a whole new feel of, of the black experience in America. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so being on a campus, that's like 95%, you know, black students, um, was refreshing. I, I feel like even as an African student in, in that context, I got to know more about the African American experience. Because we don't, as blacks from other we countries, don't. we don't, we don't get that. We don't understand that. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's shocking how much we don't know about their experience and how much they don't know about the African experience. It's right. really, really shocking. So it was a really, yeah. really rich, very, very rich experience. I mean, I joined the black fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha and undergrad. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, I, I did. <laughs> so, and then... <laughs> <laughs> then you flip the script going from a 95% um, black university to Purdue University in Indiana, which is mm. like a completely 
the you, you go opposite. from nine to five. Yeah, exact opposite. Where it's like every black person says hello because it's not a lot of you guys. You do the nod. <laughs> you do the black yeah, nod. <laughs> you mm. do the black nod of solidarity because it's two percent. Mm. You know, black. I think in a population of like thirty-five thousand students. Okay. Um, so it's it's yeah. So that's where I've been. So my family. I have family all over the world. Honestly, I think. My dad's career career made it easy for us to live every, anywhere. Right. Um, so from obviously my mom and dad have retired um, from the diplomatic corps. My mom has run a business for a while. So they're in the Gambia right now. Okay. okay. Uh, but I have siblings spread all over from Dubai to Seattle to New York to um, all over. Uh, but yeah, that's basically who I am in a nutshell. Mm. Very much. Oh, yeah. wow. That is a very diverse and varied background. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah, it, that has definitely it. informed a bit of, of the decisions you make now in your life. No, absolutely. Uh, and I think it, it changed me for a very early stage in my life because one home is very subjective because I've had so many places we've called home. I mean, my dad's lived in China, India, Sierra Leone. So home has shifted so many times. Mm. Uh, but ability to interact with different cultures, different environments, being able to adapt. So you, you get used to discomfort so early um, that it actually helps you out as an adult. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I like that. You get used to discomfort so early. You know, that is, that is quite a profound statement because yeah. everyone's avoiding discomfort. And here you yeah. are saying you've gotten used to it very early. And I guess that helps you to navigate life absolutely absolutely in, in, i was i was the yeah i was the new boy in class a lot of times yeah. <laughs> so, and sometimes even from an african context where when we moved back to new york out here i was a, a gambian kid but i couldn't speak the local language all my life was a new york kid up until now so i had to acculturate in my own culture that in itself comes with a level of discomfort so you just get mm, used to it i, I think you get to used that. to it yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about the business. Yeah. How did the idea for is it Innova Innova Global RX? Yeah. Yes. So InnovaRx. InnovaRx Global Health. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So how did that come about? So yeah, that uh, that that's my labor of love that has become our labor of love because mm -hmm. obviously with any any venture you can't do it alone yeah uh, but it's it started very very early i think it actually influenced my decision to actually go to mm. pharmacy school and not medical school or dental school okay um because because i did my undergraduate studies in in chemistry so that's yeah. almost like a foundation degree for the medical for medicine field. yeah right mm. um but or some kind of biomedical get, engineering or some kind absolutely. of engineering or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think healthcare has been something that's always been in my subconscious in terms of the haves and the have nots, mm. um, which goes back to, you know, even internally my family where I don't know my grandparents as much because they didn't live long enough. Right. Mm, so okay. most of yeah. them, I, I didn't meet my grandfather. My grandmother passed away early because she had diabetes and hypertension. So I think that in general just made me curious about the medical field. Mm, um, okay. So once I went into pharmacy school, that's really as an adult when I started coming back home often to Gambia. Yeah. Just to, for cultural reasons, for family reasons. But I knew then that one, there's a huge disparity. Like the quality of life of somebody living in New York is totally different from the quality of life of somebody living in the Gambia or Nigeria or Ghana, anywhere in Africa, right? Mm. So I think that's when I started realizing, okay, one, I'm passionate about, you know, healthcare in terms of healthcare delivery, you know? Mm -hmm. So I actually had started thinking about something that I could take what's good in America from a healthcare system and try to see how we could translate it to something that could be, could work in Africa. Mm. Um, so honestly, that's where the blueprint started. I think all the way back to uh, my pharmacy school days, I had projects in mind about, okay, this is what I want to create. I want to create a community pharmacy like a Walgreens or a CVS in, okay. in the Gambia in Africa, but I could add some more services to it because there's not a lot of diagnostic capability. There's not a lot of electronic health record capability. So it started then, to be honest, uh, up until... I graduated, started working as a pharmacist with Walgreens um, and had the opportunity to progress really, really fast in the company. 
right. uh, to manage managerial positions. So that was just adding more hours <laughs> to my mm. belt. If you, you know, if you almost consider the ten thousand hours theory in terms of just how yeah. much you could knowledge you could accumulate. Malcolm Gladwell, <laughs> ten thousand. Absolutely, hours. one of my favorite authors. One of my favorite authors. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So in 20, 2014, I knew that if the moment I registered a company, that would have been something to keep me accountable now because it's, it's mm. real. So yes. bare bones in my apartment alone, no stickers all over the apartment, like registered the company, came up with a name and started. Literally just thinking about, this was 2014, right? Okay. Yeah. Went through all the process and then started just thinking about the blueprint. Okay, what do I do? Um, okay. Then I was for, fortunate enough to meet my co-founder okay. as well, too, who was in Charlotte. We were in North Carolina at the time. Okay. And then we just we just connected in a way that our visions aligned. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is somebody that I could get on this journey with because he thinks the same way I think. He's a healthcare professional. He's passionate about it. This is Gerard? It. Gerard? I yeah, saw him on your website. Yeah, okay. this and is Gerard. Yeah. And he's Ger also is, from, from Africa, too, right? Yeah, he is, but our backgrounds were very similar because his dad, they left Africa at a very young age. So from Switzerland, he was raised mostly in Switzerland and then in the U.S. So it was very similar. It was very easy for us to relate, uh, but originally from Cameroon okay. as well. So he actually started as my mentor at Walgreens because he was a little bit more senior than I was. Um, okay. So, uh, and then the relationship just evolved and then he joined the company and then it's been, you know, us basically building the framework together since then which has made it a whole lot easier and less scary. Okay. Um, and you have this somebody... meeting, meeting him happened in 2014 as well? Uh, yeah, 2014, that... 2015. 2014, okay. 2015, that era. Okay. We actually met, met at work. At work, um, right. Literally he was your mentor. At, at work. Okay. Yeah, at, at work. And then we started traveling the world together to do market research. So we went to oh. India together. We went to Dubai together. We went to Germany mm. um, together. Just to look at what health systems are doing. We came to I Gambia like that. I like that. together in, in 2015. So there's a running joke with our spouses that we mm. travel together more <laughs> than <laughs> we do with our with spouses. Each other. But, that, yeah, is, but that is, I like that approach. I mean, you literally, you invested your own money yeah. in traveling yes. to actually see yeah. how other countries are managing their healthcare systems. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, years, most people five, would just sit behind the computer and do the research. You actually went no, out there and, and did it. That's great. Five five years: Beijing, New Delhi, Germany, Dubai. Um, all the trips we were together, just literally just going. Sometimes just seeing what they're doing from a healthcare standpoint to see making contacts. So this was way mm. before anything came to fruition in the Gambia. So yeah. how did you gain access? Did you know people on the ground who were in those healthcare systems that you could talk to that could show you around or was it just by chance? No, I think we were fortunate because going back to my dad, so he was the Gambian ambassador at some point in New Delhi. Okay. And then he left New Delhi and moved to Beijing to become the Gambian ambassador in, in Beijing. Yeah. And then my older brother was living in Dubai my okay. sister at the time was living in Germany. So we were fortunate that our you family was all over. Exactly, right. right? Okay, got it. So it made it easy for New Delhi, for my dad to just make, just get us the meeting. And then, then we go from there. So that we were fortunate. The timing was just right. He was in a position to kind of help facilitate that process. Right, a little bit. right. Good, good, good. Um, yeah. So that, that made it a whole lot easy. Okay. And then after yeah. that, what happened? You traveled the so world. So after that. Yeah, we traveled the world. Then became we became best hey, friends, super best friends. Because yeah. if you can travel with someone like that and not kill each other, you're best friends yeah. for life. Eh? <laughs> no, no, li literally, because it, it becomes deeper than business, right? Because oh, yeah. you oh, you yeah. spend so much time, like you share all your vulnerabilities, all your fears about the business. There's moments where I may have doubt about the business that he picks me up and vice versa. Yeah. Right. So it, it really becomes something bigger than both of us. Um, so we started thinking about, okay, Africa, we have a prototype, right? We started thinking, okay, this could work in Africa. Mm. We realized two things. One, Africa is, it, it's, it's a diaspora dependent economy yes. in a lot of countries, right? So we realized yes. whatever mo model that we build, it has to be something that is not only appealing to the diaspora, but they could respect it and see value in it, right? That's mm. one. Mm -hmm. But two, we figured out, okay, we need a good country to pilot 
which is why we chose Gambia, because obviously we had easier connections. Gambia is a population of two and a half million people, right? It's easier to knock on certain doors um, to get contacts. So we chose Gambia as the first one, but we still had hurdles to go over from a licensing. So it took us five years of coming, negotiating, lobbying, just to get uh, licenses to do business in, in right. Gambia. Right. Um, so that led up to 2019, which is okay. when we opened our franchise. But obviously, from a USN2, we had to make huge decisions in our lives, right? Because yeah. both of us were working for Walgreens. We, career-wise, we were at the pinnacle of our career. Good job, stable And income. you were married, right? You got married yeah. in this, oh Mar my gosh. Married, young kids as well, oh, too. Oh, gosh, So yeah. that that's the sacrifice that honestly changed us. Cause to this day, it's not, it's something that it's not, you know, you don't talk about it because there's a toll that you pay as an entrepreneur who wants to create something that hasn't existed in Africa that only you know, and the people that you go through it know, mm. right? Um, so quitting our jobs with Walgreens at a point where even people in the company are questioning, okay, why exactly are you doing this? You're crazy. Jobs? They've lost their mind. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> it, 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 oh and, God, yeah. Yeah, to a certain extent, it is a level of insanity because you go from you're making a six figure salary mm. to you're walking away from that. Right. That in itself is a financial. There's a financial toll that it takes on you that it changes who you are because you see things totally different now. Yeah. Right. Um, so he quit his job in September of 2018. I resigned as well, too, in February of 2019. Mm. Um, and we haven't looked back since. Um, so we just opened the franchise, liquidated all our savings for one case, anything that you could think of. Um, cause we really yeah. believe that, okay, we had something here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we finally opened our first franchise in Gambia, September of 2019. Mm. And since then, it's every day has just been finding opportunities, creating value, and really trying to see how we could change as many lives as possible on the continent. You know. So you have only been physically back home for about a year now. It hasn't been that long. Yeah, yeah, not even a whole year because once again, we're still balancing family life from in the U.S. Because both of our families are still in the U.S., um, yeah. so we go back and forth. So. This Corona period has been the longest time that both of us have been away from my families, um, but it's been a back and forth situation um, since last year. And your year. your wives have adapted have adapted well to the new environment and everything. Hey, adapted well, it's 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 the ebb and flow. Like it's one yeah. of those things where it's 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 also a level of stress on any, any situation. So they're the most supportive people. I think they're the backbone, which makes Absolutely. it happen for us. Yeah. Nothing happens without them. Just the fact that they're raising, you know, our children and we're missing out. That's the sacrifice that I think for both of us is one that it's always a, a asterisk of guilt mm. when you're pursuing your, your ambition. I think that's the curse of ambition. That's mm -hmm. what I normally call it. Mm -hmm. um, but yep. they've been the, yeah, they've been the backbone supportive as well because they believe in it as well too. So yeah, so yeah and that's what I was I was gonna say. That's the other side. They, you know, depending how you, on how you look at it, yes, it can it can seem selfish. But when your partner, your yeah. spouse, your family, they believe in you, they support you, that yeah. drives you to work even harder. And you know, you Absolutely. people are people are really putting you on a pedestal and saying, "We know you can do it." So then you get it done. You know, so uh, ab, ab, absolutely. And and I think what it does to they the they're the most proud, but they're yeah. the least impressed of you. They, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they, they they know you. To my I'm never gonna be oh Mr. CEO to my wife. It's like look, first of all, you're Aisha's dad and yeah. I see you for who you are, but you appreciate that too, because you get to a point where it keeps you grounded. It really becomes your anchor. Um, mm. so this that it doesn't happen without them without a doubt and they've, they've contributed significantly to the company too with their expertise as well too yeah uh, which, sweat which equity was, sweat equity absolutely absolutely um so it's made the journey really really fun awesome you know, and what has it been like practically practically just running the business from day to day man it's 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 one of the hardest things that uh, both Gerard and I have ever done like in our lives. Cause it's one mm. of those things where having a job is one thing, no matter how passionate you are about the job, you clock out at some point, right? You go yeah. home or there's the weekend 
And that transitions to this becomes what we live, breathe every single second of the day. There's a decision that's pending. There's a yeah. strategy that needs to happen. So it's, it's never ending, right? And that in itself takes its toll, but it also gives you life. Like I mm -hmm. think for both of us, if you ask us, this is the most alive we felt, even though this is the hardest we've worked because we're yeah. seeing impact, right? But so it's never ending. And Africa is a monster on its own when you're trying to do business as a young company, right? For so mm -hmm. many different factors, right? So funding is hard to get because investors normally have, are more skeptical about ventures that, especially for a model that's never existed in Africa, right? Mm -hmm. So there's elements to it. You have to fight to get credibility amongst your own people sometimes. Versus yes, who can some, be very you know, conservative absolutely. <laughs> about how they spend what they, what they do with their money, how they invest their money. Yeah, absolutely. And even healthcare is more of a, in case of emergency mindset in Africa, it's not a, you know, bells and whistles, preventative, proactive kind of mindset. So mm. it, it's, it's never ending, but it's, it's the challenge is where we've grown the most. We just take it every single day. We've employed a lot of young Africans in our company. I think we have about 40 employees in less than a year. Wonderful. Right? So, so changing the culture, changing the mindset, you know, telling people like, Hey, I know we want better, but if we want better, we have to be better. Um, so it's, it's been a, it's been a ride. Yeah, it really has been. So now to the topic of the conversation, homecoming. Yes. What is homecoming. the homecoming? What is the homecoming? You are yeah. an example of the homecoming. Yeah. I, I there are people the who want to do, who want to do what you have yeah. done, but they just don't have yeah. the gumption. They don't have, they, they don't have the confidence. They're scared, but they want yeah. to but they, they just can't yeah. bring themselves to do it. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think the homecoming is literally our ancestors' wildest dreams, if you think about it, right? Because Africa mm. has went through a phase where everybody looked outwards. Like, you made it when you got that I-20 from a U.S. university or a U.K. university you went and your career mm. blossomed, right? So yeah. you look outside of Africa, every single field, there's ex so there's an abundance of talent that is exported. That's the most valuable natural resource, honestly, that's left Africa, mm -hmm. right? And now we've seen where the world is, where now in terms of population, Africa is going to be growing faster than a lot of continents in terms of, terms of you know, youth just population. youth population, mm -hmm. business opportunities. So the whole entire world is literally turning back to Africa. Yeah. So it's either we become start creating building our own tables to make decisions or most african countries you're going to see an influx of almost like a new form of colonialism again because people see opportunity people see growth it's already right? happening it's already happening it's, it's already happening any country you go to there's a heavy influence and i always tell people i never assign blame or any kind of negative energy towards anybody who sees value in the continent and mm. invest money because it's mm. there for the taking. Africans, yeah. we have just as much access to create opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I tell people all the time, one pharmacist leaving the U.S., the U.S. is not going to miss me, right? <laughs> but if, if, if you live in a society in Gambia, for example, where for every 90,000 Gambians, there's only one doctor. That's the doctor to, to wow. population ratio, right? Think about that, right? In a country so, of like what eight million people or something like that? Yeah, no, two and a half million people. So oh, it should two and be and a half. Okay. easy. Yeah. But oh it still God. should be it's literally zero point one one physician to a thousand Gambians, right? Mm. So so and that's throughout Africa, but if you go even just the healthcare field alone, the amount of African healthcare providers in the US mm. is in abundance in every field. So mm -hmm. the homecoming to me is just making an intentional decision that okay, opportunity could be created in Africa, mm -hmm. right? If we don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. But also, it's the only way our kids could could shift that mindset away from thinking that what's what's good is Western, mm. good cannot be created within Africa. So I think that's to me that's what the homecoming represents like making a decision that okay we're gonna make this better irrespective of government irrespective of travel all the issues that we deal with every country has their own issues mm -hmm. but from from a business standpoint from a job creation standpoint the more there's a re reverse influx of talent resources back on the continent the better 
the whole world honestly would be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that to me, that's what it represents more than anything else. You know. You mentioned the diaspora, and that's a group yeah. I'm I'm slightly obsessed with myself. <laughs> yes. Yes. How? What are your thoughts on mobilizing the diaspora? I mean, how how do we get the diaspora to to move back home, to invest in home, to to consider home? How does that happen? What are your thoughts on that? I, th I think it could happen in a lot of ways. And I think if you look at Ghana, what they've been doing over the past couple of years is something, it's a blueprint we need to pay attention to, right? Absolutely. They've, yeah. they've made it very intentional about reaching out to the black, you know, the diaspora, meaning like, mm -hmm. hey, home could be here. You could invest, you will give you dual citizenship. I think dual citizenship gives people so much agency, right? Absolutely. You start shifting. And I mean, obviously, I'm a dual citizen as well, too. Mm. But it always tells you that there's also option B that could be equally peaceful, viable from a business standpoint, from a personal standpoint, right? Yeah. And it allows people, a class of people that may have been disconnected to be get reconnected again, right? So I think that's one incentivizing, you know, movement of people movement of investments i think most of the times most traditional diaspora people if you go to an investment firm in let's say new york or atlanta your options are not normally a startup company in in nigeria as an investment form right you're using mm. the more traditional form so i think more black institutions that have financial agency that actually empower people about different investment opportunities in emerging markets could be an avenue mm. but it's just awareness it's just awareness. I, I think the Ghana model is proven to be very successful. Just December alone, the amount of revenue and new investments and that they're bringing in could be a model to use yeah. it. Yeah. But even even Rwanda, if you look at the, a lot of the development with Rwanda, what people don't realize a lot of Rwandans who had migrated away due to conflict in the yeah. U.S. and a lot of them have now st coming started coming back home. Okay. So in every field, there's an influx of like specialists who are going back home because it's easy to do business. It's easy to resettle. So those are, it's a lot of different ways that you could start, you know, connecting the diaspora because that's where the real power is going to come when, if you get to a point where you could decide which season, where you want to live. Do you want to live in your home in Gambia or do you want to live in your home in Charlotte, North Carolina? Because you, <laughs> right? you could call home. And you're not entitled to stay at work and wait for a 14-day vacation period in a whole yeah. year, yeah. right? So it could it could reinstitute a lot of agency, and I think the future generation will will see it because they'll be global citizens, yeah. literally global global citizens. But I think there's there's a wave, there's a wave that's happening. Um, I think there's yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, you see it now. There are a lot of young Africans. I mean, I interview them on my podcast. I yep. had this one guy on and he was like, why would I want to yep. leave Africa? Everybody's coming to Africa. Why would I want to uh, go? <laughs> I, 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 absolutely. And, it it and seems it, like it, such a rhetorical question, like leave Africa. Who does that? <laughs> you know? No, def and, it, and it's such a huge advantage that we don't realize. And Gerard and I talk about this all the time. Like we've worked in corporate America in terms from a healthcare standpoint. We have all this experience, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a duality in our experience now where this is also familiar ground to us now, right? So it's not a lot of people that could say that, okay, two different ecosystems are familiar ground. So mm -hmm. it gives you so much opportunity. So a lot of people who are trained, lived in the Western world, when they become the decision makers in Africa, there's not a lot the, the West could influence that we're already not familiar with. Right. right. So you're, you, you start negotiating from a position of power. You start making decisions that positively impact Africans from a position of power because, you know, both systems. Right. So it's mm. just huge. It could literally change the way the world interacts with Africa from that standpoint. So, and which is, I hope, in every diff, every field. Right. In every single mm. field. Yeah. 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 I think like I, I kind of touched on this earlier. I think mm -hmm. when you're decide the, the major deciding factor with returning home is the trade-off. What are you willing, mm -hmm. what are you willing mm -hmm. to, to lose? What are you willing to mm -hmm. give up? Because mm -hmm. there's the electricity problem. There is mm -hmm. the Wi-Fi problem. Yep. You know, the conveniences aren't there. Yep. And so I think some people just 
they can't give up those con- those luxuries and those conveniences yeah. as petty as they might seem to some no. some that's a big deal you know no, the potholes and the bad yeah. roads and the poor infrastructure <laughs> and it, things it, like it, that yeah it comes back to comfort yeah. most people that you talk to that have made the decision they've acclimated themselves to a level of, level of discomfort Mm, that allows them to thrive no no Mm -hmm. it it really comes down to comfort and obviously there's a lot of different factors like uprooting a family is difficult financially if you have the u.s for example you have so much debt it's a debt society so it's not something that you can just up and leave right so there's a lot of elements which i don't want to discredit but most of the times especially if you're in the phase where you could take those chances. In Africa, you'll be surprised in Gambia, the level of comfort that some people are creating Mm. on their own. So you could be an African still live in a Western bubble. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. You you can't very easily, actually, because the standard of living here is a little bit lower. Mm. But part of it is just comfort and and, and just, if you believe in it enough, you could take a chance to do it. Um, cause you have a lot of opportunities to go back and reset if that's a safety net that you want to ascribe to. Uh, but it's just comfort, how much discomfort you're able to tolerate to just kind of plant a seed and see what happens, you know, and yeah. there's, there's, there's beauty in that. The, the other side of that is some people just get really fed up with being yeah. abroad, you know, whether yes. it's. It's, they, they just, they feel it, whether it's, okay, racist experiences or, or they just have this calling to be at home. They miss the food, they miss the culture, they miss yeah. the memories, or maybe they're second generation. Maybe they, they were born and raised in the UK or whatnot, but yeah. something about them just, they just have this calling. They have this, they want to go back to where they come from. I feel like that's, that, that's usually the driver, particularly people who've had bad experiences. Absolutely. Or just the world that we live in now. I think 2019, 2020, it's Mm -hmm. like such a huge, it's so symbolic of how stressful living in the West can be for so many different reasons, right? Um, And and once you feel a sense of peace, once you feel, it it just changes. That's why a lot of people who have never been on the continent, um, the first trip, does something for you because even if you go back you never go back the same person right Mm, so so i think that it it just changes a lot because i think a lot of people just don't know what they don't know in terms of what the african experience is and and part of it too because it's so generalized like it's just one cookie cutter experience when east africa is a totally different experience from west africa and even within west africa cultures are different nigeria is a whole different system than gambia so there's so many nuances in the african experience that somalia is just slapped all together as just one african experience which sometimes yes. makes it a little bit more intimidating that single narrative of africa being this one place I, where, I, I, yeah. absolutely absolutely but but i think with with any trend any movement there's people in the middle that make it easy like people for for myself for example i have such a huge aspect of my life who is my my american community my african-american friends my my white friends from purdue my fraternity brothers and i have a gambia site so people like me makes it easy now where even people who invested in the company early where some of my african-american friends some of my you know frat frat brothers so by virtue of the hyphens, which is what I call it, because you're existing between two worlds. Mm. The high, the hyphens have a huge role to play to make it to kind of bring everybody else along. Mm. Right? So that in itself is a responsibility that if you're blessed enough to be able to exist between two worlds, you have an obligation to bring what's good of each aspect to light, because I yeah. think it benefits it benefits a lot of people. Um, it benefits a lot of people. And you mentioned the world we live in now. I mean, mm-hmm. post George Floyd, mm-hmm. <laughs> the I think it was the the Ghanaian um, was it the Ghanaian president that sent a yeah. message to African Americans, and he absolutely just come home. <laughs> yeah, he's like come absolutely. home, yeah. and that was deep. That was incredibly moving. It, it was profound because for the first time that I've heard an African president or leader literally 
exercise their agency to kind of tell them like, hey, you know, at the end of the day, there is another place that's equally viable for you. You just have to see it, right? Mm. And that has so much history behind Ghana because Ghana, even if you look at W.E.B. Du Bois, when what happened with the U.S. and then he decided, hey, Ghana is where I'm going to call home. So they already... Yeah, blacks in the West have at some point. I mean, the Marlies. Absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot of repatriation. Absolutely. And and that could be so powerful because, I mean, the richest, you know, black people in the world live you know, to the, on the west of the Atlantic Ocean, like the Caribbeans, yeah. the, the Americas, mm-hmm. right? That's where mm-hmm. the, the wealth is, the black wealth is. So, yeah. and most of those people, they need to take that journey back across the Atlantic with resources, with cultural perspective, because I think even the continent could benefit from that influence. Yeah, you know, I had this conversation with a friend from Kenya and she said, it's okay for African-Americans to come to Africa, but they've got to remember to localize. And I think that's so important because yes. you can be an African-American. Yes, you've got, you, you are a black person, but there's still that thing that you are, which is American. Yep. <laughs> and being American comes with a little bit of, of privilege that you might not always be aware of so when you go to another country you don't even realize the things you're saying or the things that you're doing so she was like you've got to localize to know the culture understand the culture embrace the culture you can't have you almost have to leave that part of what the I don't want to call it the ugly American, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's that, that it's, little it's the part. perception. Yeah, yeah it, of that sort of like, okay, you know, there's a bit of privilege. And maybe you no. might move to another country and not realize that you're exercising some of that privilege, which, which comes from a place of ignorance, I guess. Is absolutely, absolutely. And, and not only that is, I think most Africans have a heightened sense of, you know, sensitivity towards that kind of vibe. Yes. especially when it's coming because it's so much stereotypes you know notions that they already perceive so the moment that happens you ruin what could have been a beautiful like exchange of ideas and cultural perspectives absolutely absolutely because then they just shun you like okay it's bad enough that everybody else sees us as less than but now you want to come and try to treat us as less than this is not going to work right because i think there's always been that that tension between africa and African-Americans anyways. Mm. Um, And you see it all the time where people just refuse to acculturate, refuse to assimilate, refuse to just learn. Right. Right? Yeah. Listen to each other's stories. Yeah. It it takes away from it. Uh, Some people have successfully navigated it where they they really immense themselves into the culture. You could tell that it's it's becoming, you know, who they, they start becoming the real Mm -hmm. version of what it should be. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely there. And it's, that tension could be really, really toxic and inflammatory really quick too, uh, yeah. between the two dynamics. Um, so that's definitely there. Uh, that's definitely there. But I think for me, that was a really good point that she made, but I think for me with repatriation, what I think about is like a country like Liberia, right? Where you had the return, mm-hmm. uh, enslaved Africans mm-hmm. that came back. And then what you had was like this two tiered society. It, you create this elite you know, of people who have come from someplace else and they have the luxuries and the abundance or whatnot. And Mm -hmm. they're almost treated, they're almost given favors. They're treated more favorably by the government because again, they're coming with those ideas or those resources. So you have to be wary of that as well. I feel like this is great. And we, you know, it would be absolutely brilliant if everybody in the African diaspora was like, yes, you know, we're yeah. African and, you know, even if we don't want to move to Africa, we obviously acknowledge that we're African and we want to give of something of ourselves to the continent. But I think these conversations have to be had as well because you, yeah. you may have your own ideas, but that doesn't necessarily mean but that may be embraced in that country, you know? Uh, absolutely. But, you know, I, I, for, for most of the times, I, I tend to also challenge like mm. Africans who are also on the continent Okay. Yes. To be a little bit more understanding and empathetic and towards what mm. that transition exactly, right? Because mm, mm. what's the alternative in most African countries? Somebody else is still gonna take advantage of that privilege. Privilege has existed on the continent ever since tribes had caste systems, mm. right? 
So there's also an element of awareness that I think there's an opportunity like Africans have to be a little bit more open and understanding of what it takes for somebody who's trying to return to a place that is so unfamiliar, right? Right, right. So I think there's a, there's a balancing act there as well too, which it's, it's, it's both sides have an opportunity to make the transition a whole lot easier because it's, it's one thing to be like, hey, cousin, it's been so long. I'm so glad you're coming home to, hey, cousin, mm. from day one, ch- check your privilege. So it, mm. it's, it's very... Yes, a yes. Lot, yeah, a, a lot of the privilege could be inherent. It could be a blind spot for them, right? It's mm-hmm. the same thing with ra- racism, too. A lot of, you know, people who may not have racist ideology that's super expressive, but inherently they have blind spots. That's, that's just how they're raised, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's just how they're raised. So I think both sides um, could could be that because I mean I was that kid when I was moving back to Africa um, where my kindergarten teacher taught me more about the African jungle and anything else right mm. so when I moved back I was African but I moved back with the ideology that I couldn't sleep the first night when we got back home because I felt like the, the lions were gonna come oh dear oh no right? <laughs> <laughs> so yes. it's and, it's what you're t- it's what we're taught. It's what we're taught. There's a lot of Absolutely. unlearning that has to happen because Absolutely. wherever you are, whether whether depending on the educational system that you grew up in or what you were taught at yep. home, some of yep. us have some really distorted views about what Africa is, uh, and and we don't uh, even realize. Uh, it. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, and a, a lot of Africans on the continent don't know about that. The, the black experience outside of Africa. So mm-hmm. all they've we've been fed on the continent is Michael Jordan, Beyonce, Beyonce. Michael Jackson, <laughs> M- <laughs> MC Hammer. No, but that's, that's the image, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the image. They, they don't know about Stokey Carmichael. They don't know about Nat Turner. No. They don't know yeah. about, you know, Rosa Parks. So it's, yeah. it's, it's so much unlearning, like you said, that needs to happen. And it has to come from a place of empathy, from a place of love, from a place of acceptance. Um, so yeah, they, there's a lot that needs, a lot of healing, I think, and reconciliation that needs to happen. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Because we're all hurting in some way. So the heat, yes. and, and we manifest that hurt in, in this yes. way by sort of saying, okay, we don't like you because you're over there and I don't like you because you're over here and, and this and that and the other. So um, I think that um, these com- we need more of these conversations. But you know, I really like what Ghana is doing and um, I would love to see more of that replicated throughout the continent. I think now it's 2020 is beyond return now in Ghana. Mm -hmm. And they're really, Mm -hmm. and even from an investment perspective, it just makes so Mm -hmm. much sense. I mean, I was reading quite a few articles about the investment angle and how much income the the year of return brought in. And it was, it was some Mm -hmm. ridiculously large number. I mean, just from telling people come to Ghana for like a few days, you know, it was, it was, Pretty phenomenal. So I think that could be replicated if really Absolutely. well. It, it, it could be a blueprint. And that, it, it just has a multiplying effect after a while across all industries, right? It'll have a multiplying effect where you start seeing, okay, you know, every business or every industry will benefit from that influx beyond now the diaspora remittances. Now it's literally yes. a full diaspora, right? Mm. Where now there's like, there's an opportunity somewhere people come down, they invest in businesses. And sometimes it just makes it easier. Uh, And the impact, the impact has, it has a lot more impact sometimes too. So yeah, definitely. Even Gambia, I'm like, Hey man, you guys missed out on the opportunity. Why were we not on this, you know, year of the return wave? Cause there's so much history. Yes. Uh, with with the Gambia in terms of slavery, Kunta Kinte. Oh, yes. I'm not sure if you're familiar with yes, yes, his yes. story. He, yes. he he's Gambian, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So I you so know I didn't know Kunta Kinte was Gambian for a long time. <laughs> I, yeah, I watched yeah. it, but I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I watched the film and everything, but I didn't realize. Wait a minute. Yes, he was. Okay. He, yeah. He, he was Gambian. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even the the way the French and the English divided Gambia and Senegal had so much to do with the river because of access. So there's all these slave holding ports along the inside the country. So there's yes. so much history here. Um, but, yes. but I'm hopeful. I honestly feel like, and that's personally, you know, both Gerard and I believe in that, that we may know 10 people who would have never came, 
come, you know, come to Africa, that now mm. that Innovarex is here and they, we have personal relations with them, they're going to start coming to, to Africa to see the different the other perspectives. So I'm hopeful that we're moving in the right direction. Even people like you, what you're doing, bringing awareness to the stories that's happening yeah. um, all over the world with the, you know, the whole diaspora and the and, and I'd love to live powerful. somewhere in Africa. I would love to. I don't know where yet, though. We'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we'll I'm see. biased. And I, I always tell people, start with Gambia and then go <laughs> venture out. But I think it'll be a great experience. I mean, Africa is, is the future of where everything is happening. I mean, it, it really just is. And the continent is so vibrant right now with like young people, young entrepreneurs. So much innovation. Older, so much excitement. So much innovation. Yeah. yeah so it's much excitement. incredible. You know, what would a homecoming for healthcare in Africa look like? Imagine that. Like I, I just, as, we're th- as we were talking, I'm thinking about this in my mind, like a homecoming yeah. for healthcare. Could that be like mobilizing doctors, um, yeah in the diaspora to come back home to do, to do what, what would they do? Would they build a hospital? Would they build clinics? Would they do more of what you're doing? Cause I think that could be, if you, I think there's potential to, to make mm-hmm. a homecoming industry mm-hmm. focused, you know? Absolutely. And I think, which is why even our company is positioning ourselves to do just that. Cause I mm. think now with technology, we're doing telemedicine, right? For example. Yes, yes, yes. So now, even if you are a doctor in Massachusetts, California, New York, anywhere, London, Sweden, yes. but you have expertise that is so valuable on the continent, technology now allows us where you could practice medicine virtually and have direct impact on people's lives on the continent. So even our, the whole concept behind our global doc- doctors network was designed just for that, to leverage telemedicine, like, hey, you're practicing in the U.S. I know you're not ready to uproot and transition, right. but would you be willing to do virtual sessions for patients and just start working on the continent? That in yeah. itself has a huge potential, even from an investment standpoint, yes, for yes. E- e-health platform where now doctors all over the world are connected to the African population. Yes. That's one. But I mean, because the disparity is just so huge based on lack of access to healthcare that it could be a revolution on its own because there's not a lot of a shortage of like black doctors all over the world. There's just a shortage in, in black doctors on the continent because the pay is not great. The infrastructure is not good. So there's, there's a huge there's challenges. I mean, there, yeah. there's, there's definitely shortages, a shortage in, in healthcare professionals, like you mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, some countries deal with corruption in public, yes. in public sector. Um, yes. You and I talked about this when we first connected the counterfeit drugs. I mean, I know it's not yeah. something you explained to me, your model. So it's not something that you guys deal with. But yeah. throughout the continent, counterfeit drugs is a big problem. Yeah, a big, it's, it's, big a billion, problem. Yeah, it's a billion dollar industry. It's almost as close to sometimes anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of the drugs mm-hmm. circulating on the market are counterfeit. Right. And it just it goes to show you like how insane that is. Like it's hard enough to have a disease like diabetes that you have to live with for the mm. rest of your life. Mm. But any other health system, you get rewarded for being a good patient who's compliant, taking your medications. Yeah. But by virtue of you being in Africa, you could religiously take your medication every single day at 7 a.m. in the morning. But you're not getting better. And nope. you're wondering why. Because what you're taking, it's, it's placebo. It's not doing anything, right? Yeah. So now you have the African element to it with the traditional herbs and medicines because if the medication you're supposed to take is not doing what it's supposed to do, you're going to start looking elsewhere. Yes. So even faith in medicine is being corrupted in the process just because they're not systems in place. The governments are not doing a good job regulating the products that are coming in. But yeah. what I tell people too, which is why it's important that certain infrastructure should be in the hands of people who actually empathize mm-hmm. and people who care about. So if I'm an importer of medications, I cannot in good conscience import something that is going to do harm to somebody who looks like my mother, somebody who looks like my grandmother. Right. right, right. But if everybody who's in charge of the quality of food, the quality of medication that's coming into Africa, really don't consume it, where's the care? It's a business model at that point. So there's no empathy. 
And right? most most of the so drugs, lot, it comes from outside. I mean, it's like China, India. Abs yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I, what I tell people what that is, India is the world's largest manufacturer of generic medications, right? Mm -hmm, so even mm -hmm. in the U.S. market, for example, majority of the medications come from India. Mm -hmm. But if you go to India, which we did as a company, ah, there's, yes. a, mm. yeah, there's, a, there's a U.S. standard because hmm. the USA has laws that you, your factory has to look a certain way before you could even sell one pill to the U.S. Mm. But India also has an Africa market that mm. they know they know they know that Africans care more about low cost and quality they know that most most quality control systems are not in place so yeah. they will literally tell you okay what do you want to buy do you want to buy the amoxicillin that the box says 500 milligrams but there's only 100 milligrams in it right so the same systems that are supplying western worlds because there's a respect element to it mm -hmm. they have a black market that for the dumping ground which is yeah. Africa because yeah. our consumers are not protected. So India gets a bad rap ab about that, but I blame us for mm. accepting it. And right. also it's the lack of, it's poor governance. I mean, absolutely, we do, we do know, I mean, I was watching this TED talk the other day and it, it, it just broke down counterfeit drugs, like the whole yeah. just supply chain all over the world. And some of it does yep. get into the US, but because of yep. the regulations and because yep. of the control, it's more difficult. Whereas it's harder. other, yeah, to get in, but whereas other countries, there isn't, there is lack of governance, there's poor infrastructure, no. there's corruption. No. So like you said, You've got to look within and ask yourself, like, well, who's allowing this to happen? It's ex us. Ex exactly. Ex just, I mean, just yesterday in the Gambia, they, they recalled some, some drinks that were adulterated, like some canned drinks that were adulterated. And they were like, mm. oh, well, we recall them. And my question was like, okay, and the person who imported them for Gambians to consume, what happens to them, right? Because mm. the mm. onus lies on them because they made a business decision irrespective of people's health. Absolutely. So most of the times our, our governments, that's where the corruption, the conflicts of interest come into play. So it's a lot of systems that our people suffer because we allow it. Yes, um, sadly. And the counterfeit, counterfeit is just one of those other issues where as a company, we have every right to tell people, hey, if you're selling us this product, if you cannot sell it to a U.S. company, we don't want it. And the negotiation right. stops there. We right. don't care about the price. If it's not good enough for... U.S. patients, it shouldn't be good enough for Gambian patients, right? So, and that's how it should be. Yeah. The and mentality. You know, you know. And also, when something like that happens in America, you have the people like this lady I watched. I mean, I can't remember her name, but I'll put it in the show notes. She does a TED Talk, you know, and she's the investigative yes. journalist. And she puts it out yes. there and Americans find out and they get angry and they lobby and, you know, they talk about yeah. it and they spread the news. And before you know it, there's policy change. And that's what's policy also missing in in. Yeah. Parts of other parts of the world. Policy change and the repercussions of it are so harsh yeah. that you set an example like, okay, this is a no-go area, yeah. right? Look at Eliz Elizabeth Holmes with the U.S. with the diagnostics fraud that was happening. Like she's mm. in jail, mm. right? So her whole, and she had like millions. Of, yeah. And this was somebody who had so much investment money on an idea that was a dud. Right. Mm, but there's so mm. many consequences about it. So now if you have a diagnostic tool that could be fraudulent, you have to think twice about it because the U.S. will not only slap you on the wrist, you can't bribe your way out of that scandal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in Africa, Africa, you can. You can. Mm. So it, it, and it, the it, citizens it, hold you accountable. The public, this yes. you know, good citizenship, people hold you accountable. And that's a big part yeah. of it. But, you know, I guess the other side is if you're impoverished and if you're just trying to survive from day to day, yeah. maybe there's an argument that you don't have the luxury of fighting to, to, yeah. to get good drugs. You probably can't even afford the drugs in the first place, you know? So I don't know. It's a complicated conversation to have, it but it, you definitely need more of it. And uh, more people like yourself who are doing the good work to, to, I don't know, I guess lobby government or other health professionals and see, what you guys can do to, to help solve that problem. Cause it is, it yeah. is big. It's killing people. It's killing people. It counterfeit is. drugs. It's killing, it's killing Literally, children. Yeah. It's really bad. And we see, we, we see it every day. I think that's the benefit of actually us being on the ground now where most of the realities is not like a fixture of our imagination. This is something that we are actually seeing every single day, the impact that 
it's having on people that were not getting better. They had diabetes. They were not getting better. We're just three months under our care. They're mm. actually different people. They're healthier because the medication is working. The diagnostics are working, right? Mm. So it's changing people's lives. So we're seeing direct impact. And I think that always is a confirmation that, okay, we're doing it for the right reasons. That's what motivates us, to be honest, because we see direct impact. Mm. And and that's, that's the benefit of a, a continent that has so much opportunities or so much problems. Some people might see it. It's so easy to have impact in Africa if you have the right idea, right solutions, right? Because mm. mm. most people don't know what they don't know. So you could tell them like, hey, this will change your life because they never knew that was an option for it to yeah. be life-changing in the first place. Because like you right. said, their realities are diff- they're different. Yeah. Right? yeah. They're, their realities are different. So it's, 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 it's interesting. It really, it really is. is. This has been a fantastic conversation. I enjoyed speaking Absolutely. with you so much. So before you leave, can you please yes. share with us some lessons that you have learned from your journey? Share something with our, with our audience, some kind of takeaway. So, yeah, I think lesson number one is you have to believe, at least that's what gets me through every single day. Like you have to believe in the idea that you have so much mm. that it keeps you grounded, right? Because you're going to go through so many waves of trials, tribulations, challenges, self-doubt, insecurity, vulnerability, f- fear, right? But if you believe in something, you have to believe in it so much that you will unwaver. That's number one, right? Because okay. you're going to go through waves. Yeah. Second is being, being patient, right? Being patient because what I tell people most of the times is like we've talked about our journey started almost it's been almost like seven years of in the making right yeah yeah. so it's the whole concept of like if they gave you seven years to chop down at three spend the first six years sharpening your axe Mm. right that's literally the mindset because you have to be patient because things move slow god you know man makes plans and god laughs so you never know right you're gonna fail a lot of times and the last thing that I think it's really important. Just keep a good circle around you. I think any individual who you spend your most amount of time with, who you tell most of your dreams, your ideas will determine, you know, how you function from a day to day. So it could be your immediate family, staying grounded, your close friends, because those are the people who, even if the business failed or the idea does not work, it could be proud of you because they know that you still believed in something enough to go out and do it. Yeah. Uh, Those are the people you have to intentionally keep around you because especially once you even have small glimpses of like success or traction, you could get lost. Um, Mm -hmm, You could get mm -hmm. lost, but yes, but yeah, but it's, 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 it's that for the most part, at least it's the one thing patience, you know, a good circle and just belief in yourself. I believe in yourself because it's, it's not a, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not easy, but you know, I think everybody imagination is God puts that in you intentionally. So if you're a spiritual person, you have to believe that you wake up with an idea for a reason. Somebody, it was put there in your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a beauty in something being planted in your mind for you, writing it down, holding yourself accountable. So you could look up 10 years and it's madness when you actually are living it, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got to follow it through. It didn't come out of nowhere. It was put there for a reason. And I think that's what leads you to your purpose, to that bigger meaning in life. 100%. And every experience that you've gone through in your life is, is for a reason. Like myself and Gerard every single place we've lived, every experience has prepared us for this moment, right? So mm-hmm. when you're in it, it feels familiar because God has been putting you in prep school your whole life without you knowing, mm. right? So it's, it's really, really powerful. So, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, thank you for those gems. And like you said at the beginning, you have you, your whole life, it's almost like you've been prepared for discomfort. So yeah. you yeah. can manage, you can manage the, the ebbs and flows of, of building a business. Yeah. But you're doing a great job. So keep up the great work. And what no, you're doing is very, you. um, very inspiring. Very inspiring. 
No, Thanks I'm honored. And, you know, pe <laughs> people like you makes it easy, gives us a reason to keep going. So I appreciate um, you just allowing me, the company, to be on your platform. And I think Definitely. I'm excited for what you have coming in store. So you have a fan in me as well. Uh, I'm really, really looking thank forward you, to you. all the exciting <laughs> things that you'll be doing. Thank you so much. All right. Well, until next time, folks, that's it. So bye for now. Hey there, Rare Ones. I hope you enjoyed listening into this week's conversation. The Rare Birds podcast is available for listening across all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Anchor, and several more. Please share our conversations with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can do so by opting in on our homepage of our website, www.rarebirdshq.com. The weekly newsletter provides analysis and data around the topics explored in our weekly conversations. Lastly, I would love your feedback and spend way too much time on Twitter. My handle is included in the notes section of each episode. Tweet me your thoughts, ideas, opinions, and feedback because I'm always looking for ways to improve my craft. If you absolutely love what you heard, then rate us on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week for more conversation. Bye for now.